and a very warm welcome. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony, and I'm your host, Etienne McClintock. In the studio today, we have a special guest, Alistair Yeo. Welcome. Thank you. Very nice to have you and appreciate you taking the time out to come and spend time with us. By the Word of Their Testimony is based on a text out of Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, and it reads as follows. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. So I know you're going to enjoy listening to Alistair's story. Alistair, maybe we should start at the beginning, where you're from, where you were born, and maybe your journey up to where you are now, and then we can fill in the gaps in between. Sure. Well, I was uh, born in Invercargill in New Zealand, right in the very south of Aotearoa, the most beautiful country in the world. They call it God's own, don't they? Absolutely. It is a beautiful place. And also your accent actually does give it away a little bit that you're from the deep south there. Well, I've (laughs) been trying to hide it for some time, but it doesn't work. Doesn't work. (laughs) It's a beautiful accent. It keeps people's attention. I think it's a good thing. Thank you. So, okay, so you were born there, and then did you live most of your life? Did you grow up there in New Zealand, in, in the South Island? Yes, I, I was born in Invercargill, and uh, we actually uh, lived in, in a small town called Wyanaway, uh, which is about um, 20 kilometers away from Invercargill, and uh, we went to school there. Mm. We were well-known in the district. My father was a uh, building contractor. Okay. He built our local hall. He built a local school. And, of course, um, we as kids were very proud of our dad because we thought he was magical because he made all these wonderful buildings. Sure. And, um, and we lived a very, very happy family life. And it was just a, um, just a good Experience and I like looking back on those experiences and just it warms your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been to Invercargill about three or four times and on a beautiful day, it's a magnificent place. Got beautiful beaches, beautiful sceneries, nice and green. But it I've is. also been there when it's been warm in November for a wedding and then probably a half hour later there was sleet rain coming through <laughs> and then when that cleared up it was beautiful and sunny again. Unfortunately, because of where it's uh, situated right in the south, uh, mm. weather isn't what they call the best. We can get very hot days, mm. maybe 28, 29 degrees, and yes. uh, that's hot. That's hot for the car. Um, yeah. But most times it can be quite cool. But we got used to it. We lived there, and it was we thought nothing about it. It was really good. That was life. So, so you were there for your primary school and high school years? Yes, I was. Um, um, we lived um, in Wyanaway, as I said, and our school was our primary school there. But for a secondary school, mm. we had to travel into Invercargill. And okay. um, for the next three years, that's what I did. I traveled each day and the rest of my family as they uh, grew up and uh, became high school uh, of high school age. Uh, we all had to travel in sure. the same bus into Invercargill and back home. 
at so, night time. So. Okay, so were you the oldest in the family? I am the oldest of six. There are three boys and three girls. Well, that's well planned, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, good balance. My mum and dad knew exactly what they were doing. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. So, uh, your oldest son, first one to go to high school and having to travel in, and then, of course, as your siblings grew up, they started traveling in with you. So, what happened after high school? After high school, I, um, I was always interested in cooking. I, mm. I remember the first thing I made at home was toffee. Toffee. And uh, oh. burnt it, <laughs> and it was disgusting, and it made me a bit angry because I got into trouble with my mother for wasting the sugar and, oh. and everything else that I put into it. So she made me promise that I wouldn't ever try that again. So I promised faithfully I wouldn't do it again. The moment her back was turned and she and Dad were out of the house, I made a second batch of toffee. This time I didn't burn it, and it was beautiful. And even my mother enjoyed the odd piece, even though I got told off for wow. making toffee, toffee again wow. after I promised her not doing it. Oh, okay. So not quite obedient as a child? Uh, I was <laughs> most disobedient. Actually, that's probably not true. I was I was probably very obedient, but when it came to cooking, I couldn't help myself. That was your I just, I just had to do it. Sure. My mother made good scones, and so it be, it became my... Uh, my interest at, uh, to to make a scone as good as her if I could. Mm. And I knew that my mother made the best scones in the world, not only just New Zealand but the whole world. Right. So, and I thought if I can get as half as good as she can get, then I'm doing all right. So my next venture was scones and more scones mm. and again more scones. Mm. I wonder how toffee and scones would go together. I haven't tried that yet. I haven't tried it either, but oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's what we did. Good. So, okay, so passion for cooking, and the first disaster didn't put you off from cooking. Obviously, you kept on going. So there must be something to the story. So what happened next? Well, my father was a building contractor, as I said, and and his and as it was in those days, um, the eldest son particularly used to always follow in their father's footsteps. And so right. my father knew that I was going to become a builder, and that's all there was to it. And so he got me as a young boy, about eight or nine, and in the weekends we used to go out and I used to um, clean concrete off the boxing of the mm. timber, which I didn't like doing. Mm. Had to use a spade and scratch it along, and particularly in the wintertime when you're freezing cold oh, yes. and the snow and the ice was there, mm. and I had to scratch off the concrete. I thought, this is not for me. But he was, he was actually molding me and getting me to learn uh, the art of building, starting from scratch. Right. And I proved to be a major disappointment to my dad when I decided I want to go into the kitchen and and uh, become a chef. Mm. Uh, he couldn't understand that. It's almost two different worlds, aren't they? Well, it was. And I can remember clearly as a, as a young apprentice coming home and, and my dad saying to me, he said, well, did you have a, a, a busy day, son? I said, I was busy. I was busy. We were actually making Christmas cakes ready for Christmas, and we had to put long hours in to do because that was extra. Mm. And he said, well, he said, what have you got to show for it? Well, I had nothing to show for it. He said, well, he said, I've just built 
a school. I've just built a house. He said, and it's, I can show it to you. It's still there, he said. It would last many years, but I guess the cooking. Yeah. It's a year now and, and gone tomorrow. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> that shows the disappointment he had. And he was trying to sort of guide me away from the kitchen and mm. get out and work hard and have something to show for it. But yeah. it, that didn't work either. Mm. I had to stay in the kitchen. So all this, your apprenticeship, the cooking and all that, that was still happening in the in Vicargo Yes. Otago yes. Area. In, in, in Vicargo. Sorry, yeah. Southland area. Yeah. In Vicargo, that's right. Mm. And uh, yeah, and that's what we did. And uh, and I enjoyed a really, really good life even at that stage. Mm. Very good. Yeah. So you currently reside in Australia here in New South Wales on the Central Coast. So at mm. some stage you would have spread your wings and left in Vicargo. So when did that happen? That's a good question. I I was working at a hotel in Tianao, which is not too far away yeah. from Wainaway, actually. And uh, I was there as a chef in the kitchen. And uh, as it in in that time uh, when I was working there, uh, the the tourist hotel corporation, which was government owned hotels. Mm couldn't get enough local people to staff uh, the hotels. And so they invited Australians, or anyone else for that matter, but particularly from Australia, to come across. And if they stayed two years, they would pay their return airfare Mm. back home. And so that brought a lot, a lot of young people over. And they used to guarantee them three months in, in each hotel that they owned. So they owned two or three in the North Island and again in the South Island. And so these young people come across, and I just happened to spy a young lady that I thought, oh, I rather like the look of this young lady, and I like the way she spoke and things like that. And so that sort of changed things altogether, right. and we decided to get married. And because she um, was a Scot, that um, Scott living in Australia, a Scott living in Australia. Oh, okay, her parents had immigrated to Melbourne in Australia, and she said, "Well, before we get married, you have to meet my mum and dad and my sister and brother." So we have to go to Melbourne, and I thought, "Wow, this is exciting!" Because mm. it meant I had to go overseas, and I thought, "This is really, really good." So I arrived in in Melbourne in 1970. Wow. And that was the start of. So was that just a short visit? Was that uh, your first visit? And you came back to New Zealand after that, or what it happened? was? It was supposed to be a short visit, okay. but I stayed until 1974. Okay. And then we went back to New Zealand. So four years to ask the parents for permission. No, actually, we oh. went. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. It's and when I look back and I tell people about my life and particularly with Elizabeth Mm. when I met her uh, I just knew that she was the person for me and a lot of people have asked me how did I know I've got no idea how I knew I just knew I was going to ask a question as well and in three months we were engaged Mm. and that's when she said we're getting married in Melbourne and I had to come over and meet her mum and dad and that's what I did so we we got married that year Mm. in 1970 and uh, and it wasn't until uh, and then we stayed there and we went back to New Zealand and as I said about seventy four I think it was, and it wasn't long after that that I joined Sanitarium, and they transferred us back here in eighty seven and we've been here since. Oh, so you've been here since nineteen eighty seven. Nineteen eighty seven. Right. Okay. So when you met Elizabeth, 
and yourself. Uh, you got married in a church, I assume. Yes. Um, you were both Christians when you met? No. Oh. No, not okay. at all. Elizabeth was. Okay. She was a uh, Church of Scotland okay. or Presbyterian, yes. uh, which we call here. I was a Presbyterian, but only just by name. Okay. Uh, I wasn't a Christian, yet I was brought up in a Christian home. Hmm. Um, God was uh, the center of my mother's life, not so much my father, yes. uh, but my mother's life. And she, and because she ruled the roost at home with a with an iron fist, but it was gloved with kid gloves. You okay. know, she yeah. uh, she just knew how to make sure that we did as we were told. Mm. And uh, it was her expectation that we go be at church every Sunday morning. Uh, not just me, but the rest of my siblings. Yes. And so we were there without argument. And uh, But when I left home, I stopped going to church. Going to church. It wasn't okay. of much interest to me. Mm. So all. would you say that early upbringing and Christian experience and going to church regularly would have had an influence later down in your life? I don't think so. Okay. I, I don't really think it had a lot of bearing. It may have done. Mm. All it did, I suppose, uh, and I've often thought about this, I had a belief in God. Mm. I knew there was a God. I just knew there was a God. But the God that I knew was a God who was quite angry. Uh, he was the, 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 the God who sat up in heaven with a big black book. And every mm. time I did something wrong, a black cross would be put beside my name. And that's the God that I knew. It wasn't a God that I loved. Right. Okay. So it wasn't a relational God. No. There was no. more an authoritarian God. Only. Yes. There wasn't interest in the relationship so much. No. How, like could, how could you love somebody who who was really watching everything you did and he put a cross by mm. your name? I, I couldn't. No, that's not a, a God. And yet we were told to love Jesus and I could love Jesus but not God. So right. I so had no understanding of Jesus the, and, oh, and the huge. Father. Oh, They were yeah. completely, completely different. Mm. They were two different people in my mind. Yes, wow. Yeah. So at some stage you would have had a little bit of a shift, a mental shift in regards to your picture of God. When did that start happening? Oh, look, uh, I'm going to tell a story that I I don't share. I haven't shared the story with too many people, mm. only because so just with at, us and who might be listening at the moment. At the moment, <laughs> only because it's quite hurtful. Uh, sure. What I used to be like. I, I remember uh, coming home from. The uh, hotel in in Tiana where I was working, and I came into into my home and and there were some there were some Bibles on the table, hmm. but alongside the Bibles was was three or four other books and I just happened to look at them and they were books like there was questions being asked and you had to write an answer in there, and I said to my mother I said what are these. And she said, oh, they're nothing. And I said, no, tell me. I said, what are these? And, and she said, oh, look, we're just doing some Bible study. And I said, well, but who with? And I mentioned the Presbyterian minister close to the church, or to the church where, uh, where my mother attended. And, and uh, she said, oh, no, it's not them. I said, well, who is it? Mm. And, and by this time, I, I, just, I just had a feeling that, Something was not right here. 
there was some person had the audacity to come into our house, into my home, mm. even though I wasn't living there now. Yeah, yeah. But they came into my home and they were trying to convert my mum mm. and my two sisters away from the church. Right. And you were t- attending church at the time, or was this no. during the time when you'd walked away? No, I wasn't attending any church right, at all. Right, but you were still offended by Absolutely. the audacity of these I people. Was, I, yeah. was, I thought, how dare they? Mm. Like, how dare they? And so I found out it was a guy who, who sold linen from door to door. Oh. And he just happened to be a Seventh Day Adventist, mm. and he and my mother knew him from a way back when they were young, and uh, and they struck up a conversation, and he asked her if if uh, she would like to do some Bible study, and of course she said yes, mm. she would like to do more study, yeah, and and uh, and so she told me the story, and so I, and that made me really really angry. So I said to her then. And I'm and I made it abundantly clear. Mm. I said, "Don't you ever, ever, ever let me catch him in this house." Wow, that she had some really strong feelings about. I, that. I, I did, and I said, and, and 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 she said, "Oh yes." And what will you do? And I said, "Well, if I don't kill him, I will hurt him." I I really meant that. Mm. And well, look, the person that I see before me doesn't seem to be an aggressive no, fighter person. So, and I've never been like that. So where did that come from? I don't know. It yeah. really, I was really hurt that how dare somebody mm. come in and try and, and upset something that was set in concrete and mm. you're born a Presbyterian, therefore you die one. You, know, yeah, you don't yeah. change these things. Mm-hmm. You know, you That's because I didn't have any relationship, of course. Sure. So that was a very interesting time. And when I look back on now and I feel really bad about that, I just feel, you know, I wished I had never been. But Satan was obviously at work then and sure. uh, and really got me sucked right in. Mm. So, so how old you have been around about that time when this experienced? Well, I'd have been in my early 20s early probably, 20s. Okay. yes. So you were working with us then when you were in Tiana at the time? And I was then... working and uh, and my and Elizabeth, uh, who was my girlfriend then, mm. she attended church every Sunday mm. uh, to the Presbyterian church in, in um Were you attending Tiana. with her or no, still, still not? No, though I did herself? go to church a couple of times with her, but only a couple of times. So like on a church date? So. Uh, because, yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. and, for, and it was, certainly was not for any spiritual reason. It's just mm. because she went there, I was going to go along as well. Okay. So that's your first encounter, although it would be indirectly and through your mum, with Seventh-day Adventists. Mm. Right. It was. And then so what happened after that? Your mum kept on doing the studies or what They what did. Okay. They did. And they became Adventists. They were so when you baptized say they, Adventists. It's not only your mum? My, my, uh, my mother and my three sisters oh, and my wow. youngest brother. And youngest brother. Yes. Okay. And so they all became baptized uh, members of the Adventist church. Mm. And then we left and we went to Melbourne. And uh, so as I 1970 said. 1970. Now. And yes. then when we were back in 1974, we were living in Invercargill. And I remember by this time we had two children. Mm. And I remember my mother saying to me, because uh, she used to call in to see us after church on mm. on Sabbath, and used to come in and, and uh, have lunch with us. 
uh, which we really look forward to. And she looked forward to have, to have time with her grandchildren, grandchildren as well. Yes. Yeah. And I remember saying her saying to me, Alistair, Campbell would love to go to Sabbath school, to the kids' Sabbath school. And I said, fine, mm. take him. Well. You take him. And she said, no, that's not my place. Mm. You take him. And, of course, I thought that was very brave of my mother, remembering what I'd said to her those few years yes, earlier, back. Yes, about the linen salesman. About yeah. the linen salesman. And I thought, oh, dear. And so we left it at that. But mm. she kept on and saying how much he would really enjoy that. Mm. So can I just stop for a minute and sure. just go back? Just yeah, go back a, a couple of years. We, When we got married, we started attending the Presbyterian Church in Turak in Melbourne. Right, okay, I know Turak. Yeah. And it was a beautiful church. That's a nice part and, of Melbourne. That's a yes, wealthy, affluent It, it, it was, yeah. and that's where we lived, actually. Oh, okay. And uh, we went to church there. And I can remember going into this church and it was so quiet. People came in, sat down, uh, very reverent. Mm. You could actually hear a pin drop on the carpet. That's how quiet it was. And there would be 100-plus people there mm-hmm. every Sunday. The children came in at the very beginning, and then they all went out to their Sunday schools. And so we were left with our children in the church. Mm. So that was the background I came from so fast forward sure. to to Invercargill now, and mm. my mum saying Campbell would like to go to he would really enjoy Sabbath school. Mm. So were you attending the church in Invercargill? The no, okay. So we had actually stopped. We didn't go to the church. Kids weren't going either. No, okay, right. No, we weren't churchgoers at all. Mm. And so one day, and I do not know to this day what. What made me do this? But I mm. said, I'm going to take Campbell. And I remember Elizabeth saying, okay, you take him. I'm not going. Okay. And so she stayed home and did the washing. Mm. And so I took Campbell. And, of course, I was ushered straight away into the into the beginners uh, from naught to four, something that age group. Yeah. And, 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 I've never, and I had to sit on a little chair. And I felt like a fish out of water. But I could see something there hmm. that, that really amazed me how, how all these ladies were so excited about the kids being there and they sang about Jesus and they had them clapping their hands. And I thought, hmm. this is a far cry from the church I'd been to in Turak. Like the noise was like a marketplace oh, really? in comparison. Wow. And there was no separation between the kids going one place and the adults going no. or the parents going the other place. No. Yeah. And I thought that was very interesting. So I went home straight after Sabbath school, didn't go to church. Mm. But I went home and I said to Elizabeth, I said, wow, man, you've got to see that joint. Like, yeah. I can't even describe what it's like. I said, it's like a marketplace. I said, mm. The noise is unbelievable. Of course, <laughs> she thought to herself, what is he talking yeah, about? What's going on? What happened so, to the reverence? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So she decided that she'd go next week. Okay, great. So she did. So little did you know that you were actually promoting and advertising the experience in such a way that she didn't want to miss out the next week. That's exactly what – that is it. And, and of course, so she went. Mm. But I didn't go in there. I decided to go into the the adults' Sabbath school, which is going to be a whole new experience for me. So I went into 
the adult Sabbath school. Mm. And uh, sat there, and, and and I because I didn't know the procedures, didn't know what they did and how they did it. They uh, the the time came for the ch- for people to separate to go into their individual classes. Yes. So I decided I'm going to stay put. I'm glued to the seat. I'm not moving. I'm not going to go to any class. I'll just stay in where all these people sort of congregated around where I was sitting, mm. I will stay here. Yes. And that is where I believe, uh, in fact, I know without any question of a doubt, God had done something to me there, and I couldn't explain what it was, but mm. I can remember the Sabbath school teacher, and I couldn't believe him telling me this story, but he pulled out a chart of... The, of this great big man with a head of gold right down to the feet right, of okay. Ryan Clay. And I'm like, what's, where does he get this rubbish from? Yeah, so you, you, there was and, a, what, a little bit confusing. You hadn't oh, seen anything like that no, in the church before? No. And, yeah. I, and I thought, well, he's, now he said, you all know, he said, the head of gold. And he said, and you and you know what the iron means? And I'm thinking, no, I don't what, what do you mean by the iron? And he started talking about the about the Roman Empire and whatever. And I thought, well, where's he getting this from? And mm. then then he started explaining where it all fitted in, where it all came from the Bible. And he started mentioning different verses and whatever. So I picked up the Bible that was in the seat in front of me. Yeah. And I said, How come I've never seen this before? Mm. Like, how come I've never noticed this before? What's going on here? And it's in the Bible. Yeah. How come I've never been told to look at this before was even? It, was this the first introduction to prophecy in the Bible? Absolutely. I had yeah. no idea what he was talking about. Yeah, and, yeah. and I'm thinking about this. So, And I'm, I'm watching and I'm listening. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, this is very interesting. I wonder how come... The, the question that I had all the time was, how come I never knew that? Because I knew everything, according to me, but I knew nothing. Yes, sure. I really knew nothing. So I went home and said to Elizabeth, said, wow, wow, Mac, we didn't go to church. Hmm. We only went to the Sabbath school. Hmm. I said, I can't believe what I heard today. And she said, what are you talking about? So I told her. She said, well, I don't think I know anything about that either. Mm. She said, I think I've no, I've heard of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. I've even heard of the king. Oh. So did you have a Bible at home at the school? Yes, you did. We did. Okay. Never read it. Mm. It gathered dust. But, uh, so I, so we looked at just to check it out. To see. So you went to Daniel it. chapter 2? Yeah. It? So right. I, had to have a, I had to hunt. Okay. Well, I couldn't remember where it was, well, sure. so we had to well, hunt through it to Old find Testament's it. It's big, yeah, a lot of books. And so, and so we found it, and I thought that was very interesting. Mm. And that was it, finished. We left it there. This is the interesting part of my whole story, mm. and and I I love the story. I love the story. That man, who took that Sabbath school lesson, was watching every person. In his class. Mm. But he saw me and he saw a person that obviously looked interested in what he was saying because I've never heard this before. Sure. And so he made a point of finding out who I was. He mm. didn't ask me directly, but he found out who I was. He also found out where I lived 
and he made his business to come round and knock on our door mm. one evening. I wasn't there. I was in Christchurch working, and I used to fly back on a Friday night and have the weekend at home. Mm-hmm. And so my wife opened the door, and Elizabeth said, yes, and he told her who he was, and he said to her, your husband was in my Sabbath school class Mm. last Sabbath, and I saw that he was very interested in what I was saying. I'm wondering if he would like a Bible study. Mm. And I've never mentioned Bible studies yes. to Elizabeth or her to me about that. Yeah. So she answered yes on my behalf. On your behalf, okay. And I knew nothing about this. So I arrived home late on Friday afternoon. And she said, quickly, have a shower, get dressed. There's a man coming around here to have a Bible study with you. Mm. I said, what? What are you talking about? So she explained to me the story. And I thought, oh, well, all right then. So All this right. is quite a different response to the first one with your mum's starting the Completely Bible study. Completely and totally different. Yeah, wow. Very, very different. Mm. And I didn't even stop and think, think about, about what that. I had said before. Yeah. But now there was some interest there. There was something there that 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 was saying, find out more, find out more. Mm-hmm. I can't explain what that something was. But I just want to know a little bit more, just a little bit more. Because how come I didn't know anything about that when I already knew everything? And that really worried me. You know? mm-hmm. So he arrived at, on the due time, and we had a great study. I cannot even remember what we studied that evening. But I do remember that he was on fire. He was excited that somebody was interested yeah. in what he was interested in. Sure. And he and he went through different verses of the Bible and it allowed us to ask questions and mm. not one question we asked was stupid. And he, he he just went through it and we had a really, really good time. But then he mm-hmm. knew because I, that both Elizabeth and I were so hungry about this that he felt he was not worthy of taking a Bible study. So he arranged for Pastor Lance O'Neill. Okay. Before he became a pastor, he was in the literature evangelist mm-hmm. to study with us. Wow. Because not long after we, uh, that happened, we actually shifted to Christchurch. So he made sure that Lance O'Neill knew where we were living and we were to, uh, he was to continue Bible study with us. Mm-hmm. And it was through the studies with Lance O'Neill that we eventually became baptized members. And in 1976, we were baptized into the Adventist Church. Wow, that's incredible. So you can't ex- remember exactly what the study is, but you remember the feel, that very first study in your home. The feel of it, the fact you could answer questions, ask questions. Was it still to do with prophecy? Can you remember that element of it? Or was it a different topic? There was different topics. The thing thing that I believe uh, that was the most interest to me, that that Jesus actually died for me. Mm. And if I believed that, if I believed that in faith, then... I, all my sins would be forgiven. Mm. And that's the part that, that I felt, well, well, man, there's something. 
because I knew I was so bad. I was a bad person. I had actually shunned God, mm. never used his name in vain or anything like that. Sure. But, well, actually, that's not true. I used to be like a lot of the young fellows. You say, uh, oh, God, or oh, my God. Mm. I used to say mm. that a few times, but never in my mother's hearing mm. Mm. Uh, because uh, that would have upset her. Sure. Um, but I was a bad person uh, when I actually knew how bad I was. And yet uh, Jesus was so loving that he he said, no, just ask for forgiveness and you will be forgiven. Mm. And then somebody said, it's in the Bible that says that when you ask for forgiveness, God forgets. Wow. So, so if somebody asked God, now what did Alistair ask for forgiveness for? So I've forgotten that. He's forgiven. Yeah. I've forgotten. And that's biblical. It's in the Bible somewhere. I said, I've got to find that. Okay, so this is one of the, so the this, things and, that and hit you. And I thought, wow, this is, a, this is really, this is amazing. Mm. And I thought, I can't believe this. He's, he's, he'll forgive me. Mm. And then a lady gave me a book about a fellow, I think it was John Orchard, okay. who killed a man and was put in prison mm. in um, in uh, in America. And the wife of the man that he killed visited him in prison and said, I forgive you. Well, and, I and I couldn't believe that. Yeah. And it changed her life and it changed his life. And mm. he became an ambassador for God in prison. And I thought, wow, God even, even will forgive him, forgive mm, him. Mm. If he's going to forgive him, he'll forgive me. And that that is where my love for God started. And, of course, Pastor Lance O'Neill was on fire for him as well. Mm-hmm. And so it was easy to understand just what it was really like. Wow. To, to, to just give your heart to him. Wow, so you great. started seeing a different picture of God. Most definitely. And, and was there a, a more of a connection there between who Jesus was and who you knew Jesus was and who the Father was, you know, God the Father? Yeah. Because I mean, you were saying early on in your experience there was a disparity. Jesus was someone, God was someone, and he was an arbitrary judge in a sense. Yeah. But Jesus was kind and loving and someone. Was there now with these two pictures starting to come together for you yet at this stage? Or oh, yes. Not? Yeah. Okay. And, and, and they made it very clear because uh, I told them, I said, God is a tough God. Mm. And they asked me why he is tough. And I said, well, he sits there with a big black book. And they said, okay, let's come back here next week. And I want you, Alistair, uh, Lance O'Neill said, I want you to go and find me the scripture in the Bible where God has a big black book and he marks your name off. Right. Well, I couldn't find that. Mm. It wasn't in there at all. I asked a lot of people. They said, no, no, we haven't found it either. It's not in there. And so all of a sudden I beginning to understand that the God that I understood, that I knew, was not the God of heaven. Mm. That is the God of heaven, the loving God, the the loving God who was so loving that, that he permitted his son to die on my behalf. That is when the penny dropped and thought, wow, wow, Mm. that is really a loving God. So when you came and and you gave your heart to the Lord, 
it was not so much the fear of judgment. It was the goodness of God that was the motivating factor, first and foremost, because you learned to love him because he loved you. Is that? Amen. I have Mm. got no fear of judgment. I Mm. have Mm. no fear of judgment except maybe of the sin that I have committed and I've forgotten. And I I said, well, what sin have I haven't asked for forgiveness for? Sure. Maybe he'll judge me on that, but I don't think God's like that. God Mm -hmm. is a loving God. Mm. And, And when I understood that, I thought, Wow, wow! I I think, I think we have made this this religion thing too tough mm. for a lot of people. When mm. when God is love, and all He wants is for you to believe what He's done for you and accept what He's done for you in faith, mm. and then and then everything falls into place. That doesn't mean to say we don't have hard times. Sure, sure. Because we've had a few hard times, but mm. God is still there. Mm. God is still there, willing and just wanting to forgive you. Mm. Look, yeah, salvation is holy of grace and is holy through faith. And as we begin our journey in faith, so we are to continue in faith. And if it's important, God will bring to remembrance things that you know that, that may be troubling us in Amen. our minds. You know, Amen. He wants to clean our conscience. Now He's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. So if it's important and it's something in the past, you know, one of the works of the Holy Spirit is actually to bring to remembrance. Hmm. So if it's important, the Lord won't let us down. Now that text that reminds me says that He who began a good work in you hmm. will be hmm. faithful to complete it hmm. until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, and well, you know, there's a, a verse in the Bible that everybody knows who reads the Bible, and it's John three sixteen. Mm. You know, and I I read that verse over and over again. I recite it in my head, but the, mm. and it says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, mm. and I am that whosoever, yes, that includes all of us, believeth in Him, mm. will not perish but have everlasting life." And mm. I. And I think, I want to believe him. I, I believe him. Because all I want is to live with him mm-hmm. forever. Yes. And that promise is there. And then I've learned another um, a verse that I think is equally as exciting as John 3.16, as mm-hmm. John 4.25, where it says, I tell you the truth. Whosoever believeth in him who sent me has eternal life and will not perish. Mm. And I'm saying, Amen. I love that. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. So eternal life can start for us even now. We can have eternal yes, life now. Yes, and it's so exciting. And it's so it is so comforting to know mm. that he doesn't want us to perish. He doesn't yeah. want us to there perish. Was never in his plan. Yeah. Never in his plan. He yeah. wants everyone to, to be saved home. and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Yes, Amen. Yes, yes. Amen. Wow. Yeah, that reminds me of another text there. You know, at Pentecost, when they prayed and the Holy Spirit ascended upon them and they spoke mm. in tongues and you know, proclaimed mm. the gospel, mm. 3,000 were converted. And then the following, you read there in chapter 3, after that sermon, that Peter preaches again. And he says there to the multitude in uh, Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? And you were just talking about Mm. the blotting out of the sins Mm. and the work of the Holy Spirit Mm. there. 
You know, that is, that is wonderful. But eternal life, that we can have that even now, even if we are to fall asleep, and by I mean by sleep is our fir- the first death, because Bob mm. talks about two deaths, obviously, mm. that that is irrelevant in, in the scheme of things. In mm. the scheme of eternity, if mm. we were to pass away today or next mm. week or next year, mm. it doesn't matter. If we are with the Lord, we will be with the Lord, and he will raise us up, give us a new body, and give us immortality. Amen. Mm. Death is something that that I I don't want to die, uh, and mm-hmm. and I have felt like that for a long long time. I just don't want to die. Mm. I don't want to die. I I I just want to stay living forever. Mm. Reality tells me that that's not the case. We sure. all die, and yeah. uh, and we just can't help that. That's just the way life is. Mm. And because of sin, we don't live the 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 many long years that uh, the early people in the Bible used to live. So we're going to die. And then I was told in my early experience that death is like a sleep. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that uh, that can't be really, really true because I know when I go to bed and I go to sleep that when I wake up in the morning, I've been conscious mm. of the fact that I've actually been to sleep. And I could just about... Say I've had about five or six or eight hours sleep. Yeah, so there's some you, level so of consciousness some, of your sleep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Until a person said something to me that I thought was really, really interesting. He said, have you been to hospital and had an operation? And I said, yes, I have. Mm-hmm. He said, right. He said, uh, what happened? I said, well, I've had a knee replacement. So he said, uh, when they put you out, he said, did you feel anything? I said, no, not a thing. Mm-hmm. He said, right. He said, so you were really out to it? And I said, yes, I was. Thankfully, I was out to it. Mm-hmm. He said, so when you woke up, were you conscious of how long that you were in the operation for? And I said, and if I said when I woke up, I thought I was still ready to uh, ready for my operation. And mm-hmm. they said, oh, no, no, it's all been done. That was done three and a half hours ago. Wow. And then he said to me, that is what? The first death is like, you're not conscious of anything. Mm. He said, you go to sleep. He said, then you wake up. And when you wake up, the first thing you will see is the face of Jesus. And I thought, amen, amen. Mm -hmm. So death does not hold one bit of fear for me. Once I understood that sleep that Jesus talks about in the Bible, I've got no worries. Well, that's incredible. I can actually so relate to that. Sixteen years ago, I also had an operation. I had a back operation. And I remember going into the theater and the person that applies the anesthetic anesthetic to put you under. I said, oh, should I see if I can resist it? They go, no, you may as well just relax. Just count backwards from 10. Well, I can't remember falling asleep. And the next minute, these little nurses are running around say, wake up, wake up. And I go, wake up. They said, oh, the operation's over. Now, obviously, I was still under anesthetic, so I must have asked them this question probably a hundred times because after a while, I can remember them ignoring me. And they go, how rude. I'm asking questions here. <laughs> but, I'd probably, but I could not remember because mine was probably not three and a half hours, mm. but um, mm. a couple of hours or something. Mm. I had no concept of falling asleep. And then when I woke up, I couldn't believe because to me, it wasn't even a second difference between the two. Mm. So that mm. must be must, what death is like. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, Alistair, in your experience, because now you're obviously a, a leader in the church, you live just down the road from us, and it was lovely to make your acquaintance again when we moved to this part of the world. 
Uh, little did we know we were going to live in the same area because I think I met you around about 1989, 1990 when you were visiting New Zealand. It was around about that time. Maybe even have met you at a conference in 92 hmm. at the Gold Coast if you're still working for Sanitarium yes, at the yes, time. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but lovely to meet you. So you're an elder now. So uh, your experience, so obviously you, you meet the Lord, your family become Adventists, you attend the church. So what has your journey been from that point to where you find yourself now? Oh, it, it has it's been a lot of things. It has been an up and down uh, experience. Um, y- you know, I I was under the impression at the beginning that once you gave your heart to the Lord, then everything is going to be fine. Mm. Everything is going to be fine. Well, I, we, we found out quite quickly that, that that is not the case at all. Yes. Everything is not going to be fine. Um, I can remember um, our youngest boy, David, um, who was a very bad asthmatic. And... Um, uh, I remember that the, the doctors have said to us that he really needs to be looked after very, very well. And, um, and so my, my, my wife decided then we, we should probably have him anointed. Mm. And this is when we were living in Auckland. So we're going back uh, in, uh, in the late 80s now. Mm. And so we had him anointed. And that was another thing, too, that we found very interesting. Nothing happened mm. with that anointing. And I was starting to doubt now. I'm thinking to myself, oh, I'm not too sure about this Christianity thing. I was starting to get a little bit just, oh, I just wasn't, nothing was seen to be going right. Nothing was mm-hmm. honky dory anymore. And sure. I thought, oh, I don't know what's going on here. Then we were transferred to Tasmania in 87. And it wasn't long after that that uh, David took a turn uh, mm. with his asthma. We had to take him to hospital. Oh. And he was put on oxygen and uh, straight away and uh, was ventilated. And he stayed there for a couple of days and he was as good as gold. He came mm-hmm. home. And, and with asthma, it's, it's not like a sickness. You know, well, once you get your breathing back and everything is normal, then... He just run around like a normal kid, sure, uh, like a six or but eight nothing, or nine year old. You know, yeah, nothing yeah. wrong at all. Yeah, and that happened a couple of times. Mm. And then uh, I can remember very clearly one one night. Uh, it was a Saturday night um, or a Friday night. I think it might have been. A, it doesn't matter, but it was a weekend night. Uh, and uh, he came into our bedroom and he said to his mum, he said, I'm not feeling very well. And she said, haven't you tried your puffer? Mm. And he said, yeah, but it doesn't work. Mm. And uh, she said, I'll pop onto the bed here and I will go and get it and we'll try it again. He did that and he went unconscious. Oh. And so I quickly yelled out to get the ambulance and uh, but I knew something was really, really serious. Mm. Um, and he went completely out, and he started going stiff as a board. So I picked him up and took him to the car, but I didn't even I just put him on the driveway, and I thought, I've got to do CPR here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ambulance hadn't arrived, I don't know where it was. and uh, and so I started and I couldn't get air into him, and I was starting to panic. I thought, what's going on here? God, where are you? Mm. 
what's going on here? And, well, what a and nothing, experience. nothing was out. And then I realized that maybe he's got air in but can't get it out. Which is typically with uh, asthma. Yes. So I have, just yeah. jumped on his chest and he, and he took a huge gasp of breath in and the ambulance arrived and they took him off to the hospital and he was home in two days' time. As good as gold as though nothing had happened. Wow. That would be tough but for that, any father to go through to see exactly. his son and just feel so helpless. Exactly. Yeah. But that also then warned us, mm. don't if he's starting to feel a bit down, just don't worry. Mm. Just take him straight to the hospital. Right. And they've said to us, never to worry about that. Bring it in. We'll tell you if it was a, a false alarm or not. Mm. Let us make that decision for you. Sure. So one night, so you he, wouldn't prescribe that as an action to take necessarily to jump on someone's chest. No, <laughs> take no. him to the hospital. The early the, that will do it all for me. <laughs> yeah, good. So we took him to the. So he he came home and then one night he, he was not well mm. and I said to Elizabeth, I think I'll take him to the hospital. She said, Do you really think so? And I said, Yeah. Mm. He, he just doesn't seem well. She said, Oh, she. I think he's going to be okay. Anyway, we took him into the hospital. And I had the excuse of going fast. I had an emergency, so yes. I liked speeding. <laughs> and we struck every light oh. green. Oh, green. On the way to the hospital. And at the Royal Hobart Hospital, you can never get a car park within two kilometers of that place. It is just a terrible place for car parking. Yeah. There was a car park right outside the door. You wouldn't believe it. I parked the car. We went inside, and the waiting room was full of people with all different manner of injuries. Mm. And a number of police were there. Some guys were handcuffed to each other, and they'd had a big brawl, and I thought, we're going to be here forever. Mm. And so I went up to the nurse, and she said, yes. And you could tell that she really uh, really was not having a good day at all. And so I said, oh, I've just bought my son who's having uh, problems with asthma. And she said, just take a seat. And so uh, he took a seat, and within a minute his name was called. Wow. And so we took him through into the emergency room, put him up onto the bed, and he went into cardiac arrest. And a wow. man was walking past his bed, and he just barked orders at high speed, and then he had a respiratory arrest. And so he... He was really bad, and mm-hmm. and this guy happened to be the director of of uh, intensive care, mm. and he just happened to be out of the ward for a moment, walking past, and so they got him up into the intensive care, and a nurse came in and told me to call my wife because things were serious. So cardiac arrest and, and also respiratory, respiratory arrest. arrest. Yeah, but we didn't know what that meant. I, mm-hmm. I had no idea. And so Elizabeth arrived at the hospital, and it was only just a couple of minutes after she arrived that the doctor came out, and uh, he said, he is serious. Mm. Uh, we've got him stabilized, but he is serious. And I said, so what sort of a chance? Did you got 60-40? He said, no, no, no. He said, 10 to 90. 10, 10% chance. He said, yeah. be prepared for the worst. Mm. And so here we were, completely alone, didn't have family or friends around us, mm-hmm. uh, and so we were. Well, we had nothing. We couldn't do anything. So we were sitting in this room, and they uh, they said, "Would you like a cup of tea?" And I said, "Yes." And I don't drink tea. 
would you like sugar? And I said, yes, and I don't even have sugar. Wow. And, and so, your so was just not I, on I it. just wasn't there yeah. at all. Yeah. But, you know, we just said a prayer together mm. that everything will be okay. And he is okay. In fact, he is so good now that he's a pastor of one of our churches up in, uh, in uh, Gladstone. In Queensland, is that right? Yeah. So God did hear our prayers. God did anoint him, Mm. and um, so he's there. Mm. Well, praise God for that. That's a that's a powerful testimony. But what I liked is the story because I thought you're going to tell me you you struck every red light going to (laughs) going to the hospital, but it was all green. A park right in front with the hospital is really busy. You have to walk blocks after you've parked. Yeah. So the Lord was really looking after it, you because it sounds like it was touch and go. If it was only a minute between you arriving and then going in and then him having cardiac arrest there, five or ten minutes makes a world of difference, doesn't it? Makes a huge difference. You see, God was in control all the time. Mm. We just did not allow him. Mm. Both Elizabeth and I didn't allow him to have that control. We were in charge of everything. We knew right. what we were doing. Mm. Uh, even though we got him anointed, we were still in charge. I, I don't know, in charge of what? I don't know. Sure, sure. We, we weren't prepared to let go. But the moment we let go and we look back now and God has led all the way through mm. those times, it, there, there is no one can now convince me any other way. Mm. Any other way. And so God is real to me. God is real to Elizabeth. Mm. And all we want to do is to share that love that he has for us. And it's just not for me. Mm. It is Mm. just not for Elizabeth. It's for our family. It's for our neighbors. It's for our community. It's for our church community. God loves all of us, despite Mm. what we have done, despite the stupidity uh, of what humans do and and despite what we say mm. you know you say something in anger you can never ever take those words back mm. they're, they're gone yeah, and and yet god is prepared to forgive you mm. for saying these stupid words or hurting people and all he's just prepared to forgive you and so that's what we cling to. Yes. That's why I love him the way I do. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. And Alistair, I've seen that love and your passion for God a number of times, and that's one of the reasons you're in the studio here to tell your testimony. But I think that all creation and the people on this planet need to see a revelation of the love of God and his people. Now, we mm. want to be more like Jesus. Mm. We want to love the Father like Jesus, love the mm. Father, and our fellow man as well. Mm. And that will only not be seen in words but also in deeds, I think. Amen. So it's beautiful that you bring out that, that element, that love of God, his goodness. And I think we could be a living, breathing testimony, a living sacrifice, as it says there in Romans chapter 12, mm. wholly acceptable unto God. And that's our reasonable service to our fellow man Amen. to God. Yeah. Amen. Now, Amen. we've only got a few moments left. Um, have you got any advice for people who are searching for meaning in their life or looking to reach out to God and perhaps don't know what to do to reach out to God? Yes. Just speak to a Christian. Find a Christian mm. and just talk to them. Pick up the Bible, even if you don't understand it. There are things in there 
there will be a certain verse, there will be something there. In fact, if you just go to John 3.16 yes. and read it over and over and over again until you, and then you will begin to understand that God does love us mm. and he doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to feel down. Mm. He doesn't want you to feel as though you're not good enough. You are good enough. Mm. You are so good that Jesus died for you. That puts value That's on each person, doesn't every it? Every one of us are valuable to him. Yeah, that part surpasses any money that anybody could pay for a person. The 100%. infinite price paid of the Son of God yeah. in human form yeah. to, 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 to cleanse us, to wash us, and to get rid of that sin debt that we have. Regardless of whatever you have done, regardless mm. of how bad you think you are, you're not bad enough for God. Mm. Amen. He loves you as you are. Oh, yeah. That is such a beautiful thing. And quite often people think they've got to do a few things just to make themselves better to be accepted by God. But that is actually a fallacy of the devil, isn't it? It is. We can't make ourselves better. We've got to come to the Lord, and he will transform and change our lives and hearts. He will forgive Amen. us. Amen. He'll give us new motives and new attitudes. Amen. Yeah. Oh, what a wonderful God we serve. Alistair, I'm really grateful for your testimony. It's been wonderful for you to share your journey. I know there's lots more stories we could probably share and, yeah. and talk about, but I am uh, very grateful that you were able to even share some of your more personal moments that there might be some people out there who can relate to those aspects in their life as well. Mm. And if God can do it for you, he can do it for anyone. Well, I don't want to be thanked. I just want to praise God. Amen. Just yes, praise the there's, Lord. No, there's no creature merit. Yeah, Everything that we have belongs to God, and thank you for bringing out that mm. point as well. Yeah, All our abilities, our mental capacities, the opportunities for growth, all that is a gift, gift from God. So Amen. there's no creature merit. Well, thank you very much, Alistair. Thank you for being our guest today here on By the Word of Their Testimony. We look forward to having you with us next time we meet. And we pray that God would bless you and lead you and draw you. And may his goodness also lead you, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.